Welcome to A Long Time in Finance, the podcast that takes a sharp and sometimes acerbic look at the often absurd world of money through the eyes of two journalists who've, well, spent quite a long time in finance. That's me, Jonathan Ford, and him, Neil Collins. Welcome back to A Long Time in Finance, and this week we are talking about um, nuclear power, and we, we're very pleased to have with us to talk about sort of attitudes to nuclear power, nuclear safety, uh, with um, Kirsty Gogan and Eric Ingersoll, who are, who, who are the founders, I think, of Terra Praxis, an organisation, an NGO, which is uh, looking at solutions to climate change from advanced heat sources which are things I think we would refer to as nuclear power plants but you talk about them in a slightly more euphemistic way um, and basically I suppose that the, the I want I just think I'd get getting kick things off by talking a bit about uh, for a second about one of the reasons why we thought we'd have this uh, podcast on this subject today which is the recent stuff, the recent news about nuclear fusion and the joint European Taurus and very positive stories about how exciting it was that it had, I think, managed to produce some enough 14 kilograms of TNT, which apparently is enough, only enough to start to power up about 60 kettles or something. But I only thought... The 60 kettles for five <laughs> seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that a uh, commercial uh, fusion reactor is about 30 years away, which is where it's been ever since I was a small boy. Yes. So it's basically, it's at a very early stage. We're nowhere near commercial um, uh, launch of, of fusion. But the interesting thing about fusion, of course, is... Everyone's very, very positive about it because they say it's got none of the problems of nuclear fission. It's a kind of, there's no proliferation problems. Uh, it's not going to leak radiation anywhere. It's perfectly safe, etc. But, of, but, 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 but um, there is, of course, um, wait, the wait. problem that there is about 30 years to wait for it to arrive. Well, I think there's another amusing thing we could say, which is that it turns out that nuclear energy also doesn't have all the problems that people think nuclear energy does as well. Do yes. you mean fusion? No, I mean fission. No, he's fission talking about fission. doesn't have. Does not I have. I see. Yes. Good. So well, let's talk about fission. Yeah, let's talk about fission, because that's the one we actually have, and the one that could make a difference in the next three decades while we wait for fusion to turn up. And I'm interested in trying to get a sense from you whether you think, as you've done a lot of work in nuclear in the last years, whether there is a change in the mood well, and whether people are becoming more accepting, keen? I think there's such a big change to, to the context. It's like the climate has changed around, around fission and fusion, actually. Mm. And one of the reasons why we could feel more optimistic about fusion and indeed fission right now is because climate is a driver that just didn't really exist. 30 years ago and what's happening is that we're realizing you know globally we're realizing globally that we're just not making enough progress on emissions reduction as quickly as we need to and you know we're looking beyond just the power sector where wind and solar have been you know quite successful but even then we can't do it just with wind and solar we can't get all the way to zero and so there's more attention being paid to 
the potential for these technologies for fission and fusion to more, reach parts of the decarbonisation problem that other technologies just can't reach. But do you think that there has been a thaw in the uh, public opinion on nuclear power being the work of the devil and we don't mind having nuclear power as long as the power stations are a good 200 miles away from where we are. Do you think that has changed? Yes, I would say there are some very significant changes. So in the last few years we've seen highly reputable environmental groups coming out in favor of nuclear. Um, Which ones? Um, the, even the Natural Resources Defense Council, which is in the U.S., which is a very large, well-funded organization, and is typically not uh, either is quiet or is actually anti-nuclear, came out with a policy statement that's, that said in the U.S., nuclear, existing nuclear was needed to achieve decarbonization. This was a huge change. Un Union of Concerned Scientists came out the same statement. And there are other organizations like the Clean Air. Defense Fund. So the, the Union of Concerned Scientists historically have been the, the ringleaders of anti-nuclear okay. activity. Okay. So but, this but is really a huge so, change. Sorry, I, I see that. But um, the real problem in this country is public opinion, which is, if not vehemently anti-nuclear, at best extremely skeptical about it both the cost and the, uh, and the likelihood of... Can I strongly disagree? Because well, the, yeah, the polls show consistently that if you, asked, if you asked people whether they favor a mix of nuclear and renewables to address climate, you get more than 70% of people saying yes. Mm. I'm going to give you a poll. So this is, so I, 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 which is a, a British government based the business department poll from last year, which asked people, could nuclear help combat climate change, which 38% agreed, 17% disagreed. The interesting thing is a very large number of people didn't know or didn't care. Um, <laughs> is it affordable, which was the other point you made, 44% agreed and only 13% disagreed. So that was the most That's so interesting, positive. isn't it? And is it safe, 38% agreed and 20% disagreed? And in each case, around 30% undecided. But so you see, in, in the UK, it's, it's sort of relatively... It's been it's really... It's a plurality. It's, it's been the, quite The issue is just getting anything for quite done. A long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing about public opinion polling is that it depends on what you ask, who you ask, when you ask, and how you ask. And actually, you can get, like Eric was saying, if you ask people, do you support a combination of nuclear and renewables, support will rise from around a sort of 40% baseload of support for just nuclear on its own, to 70 or 80 percent and that's consistently year on year in in multiple countries um, so public opinion is you know is as I say it's, it depends on what you ask and how you ask but, and who you ask but there when is a, you there ask. Is a hard there's a hard question which is is in countries so two countries in Europe I think America has always been more positive than Europe, pro, Europe has yeah uh, two countries where actually those countries are engaged in trying to close down their existing nuclear power plants, one in, in Germany, the other in Belgium. And if you look at the polling, um, in Belgium, there is, uh, this was a poll last year, a survey showed that 47% opposed it and only 30% favoured the closure. So, and, so and those was, numbers, but, but nothing, nothing changed. The government is still absolutely committed. So there's a lag. It. There's and actually a lag between public where public opinion is moving in Germany as well, mm. um, and 
the political decision makers are not yet catching up. And in Germany, we're seeing public opinion moving much more favorably towards nuclear energy. And the drivers for that, if you wanted to explain why that is, it's partly because of energy security, over-dependence on Russian gas. Mm -hmm. It's partly because increasingly both Germany and Belgium um, are being kind of, you know, are being accused of being climate laggards. They're missing their climate targets as a result of intending to or actually closing down those zero emissions um, nuclear plants. And then finally, energy prices and just generally energy security and price volatility, particularly in light of the climate crisis. In fact, we've seen a big move generally, I'd say, in Europe in, you know, since the climate crisis started last summer. Yeah, it was nothing like uh, $100 oil and uh, <laughs> multiplying gas prices to concentrate the mind. Um, but I must say, I thought that the results of that survey depended on the question that was asked, which was, you know, which do you prefer to exactly. be kicked or, or strangled? Um, <laughs> which, which, I, one, which survey the, are you referring the, to? The one where, um, do you think nuclear has a role to play in, the, in green energy? Um, I would say that the follow-up question is, do you mind having a nuclear power station next to where you live? Okay, so that's a safe. So, so, so and maybe the question should issue. be: Would you prefer to have a coal plant or a nuclear plant next to where you live? Because or that a, really a is the choice. I think this is actually one of the reasons we're seeing these environmental groups um, change the way they talk about this and and sort of admit that there's that nuclear energy may need to be part of the decarbonization future because what we're I mean the US is should be the the best case for renewable deployment huge amounts of land great solar resource very pro-business um, incredible wind regime and not that many people in the middle of the country so it sounds you know it's if you can make renewables work anywhere you should be, be able to make it work there. And what we're seeing is they just cannot get the deployments, uh, annual deployments, up to the level and sustain it at those levels that are going to be needed. So people are getting somewhat less sceptical about the idea of nuclear power. Um, the numbers in terms of the cost do not look at all favourable uh, in this country. Uh, the, the only one that's being built seems to cost twice as much every six months uh, and is already running late uh, and is a design which is so good we may not actually uh, reproduce it. Um, so I think there's a long way to go in terms of trying to do this at a cost which is bearable. Well, Neil makes an important point, which is, is the idea that you have to... Um, build programmatically in this, in this world. And that is a problem. We, we, I, I mean, I look with some skepticism myself at the UK's projects and the extent to which they are going to lead to a kind of low-cost solution. I know what will happen in France, mm. but at least France is thinking about, you know, 14, basically trying to build the same ones again and again. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, while they're bankrupting EDF in doing so. I mean, yeah, Jonathan, you know the. Um, I mean, we need we need a whole other podcast to talk about nuclear costs, don't we? But to sort of you know, but put that it is part a, of skepticism. Absolutely, and you know, it has been a huge investment that's been needed 
to stand up the nuclear capability again in the UK after a generation of mm. not doing anything. And that means yeah. a huge investment that's been needed in the regulator, in um, developing a design and all the associated design engineering for what is admittedly, you know, a very complex, large engineering project mm. to get the supply chain qualified and understand mm. what they're making and then to build that and do it all for the first time. And actually, we've looked in a lot of detail at what's happening at Hinkley. And it's really interesting because they're building two units next to each other that yeah. are basically identical, at least there's symmetry. And um, the first unit was the one that required all of this investment to get it right the first time. And the second one is coming along so fast that they're having to actually slow it down because essentially what's happening is that now everybody's up and running, they know what they're doing, the supply chain is delivering, the labor force is delivering, the project de delivery team are delivering mm. and they're going and going and we've seen this happen in other countries Korea Japan and uh, China of course but previously also in Sweden and France and in the United States where you did get the industry up and running and then it delivered you know actually really cost-effectively in fact so you're saying that the, the new one is um, what a quarter of the price of the first one that's basically the first-of-a-kind costs are high and then once you've invested if you build the same design repeatedly with and you transfer across the skills and capability mm. you can very you have a very steep decline to a very reasonable cost can i ask a question which is so we dealt a little bit there with cost one of the big mm. components of cost is um is safety it certainly has been historically is there is there you know, one of the things which neil and i have kicked back around and we've basically convinced ourselves that this is an impossibility is that you can r roll back very much of the safety regime that's been taken on because clearly it becomes a bit of a tough sell saying actually you've had safe nuclear plants now do you want to try and they were really safe so do you want to have, try slightly less safe safety <laughs> that's uh, a tough sell it's a really tough sell but the question is can you do safety in a way which is cheaper can you do it in a way which basically gets rid of some of the kind of uh real engineering problems that were caused really by trying to yeah so i think engineer. there's there's the the short answer is yes you can and the slightly longer answer is is that you you have to <laughs> quite no you can't this is, this is after all the uk no no no, no. let's let no, let's let eric explain sorry the, we're being You're very rude the longer <laughs> answer the longer answer is so the the longer it's good to have a skeptical audience, you know. Well, the longer answer there's two parts of the longer answer. Part is one side is the regulatory side, and yeah. the other side is the sort of reactor design side. Yeah. And so on the regulatory side, there's a lot of effort being put in by the regulators today to make sure that the that the things that they're imposing are in fact contributing to safety. And and that's that hasn't historically been a, a, a predominant concern before it was always like everything should be ratcheted up everywhere and i think we're now seeing that many of those th there's a kind of clearer understanding that there needs to be effective enabling regulation and it really needs to be focused on safety so more regulation isn't the same thing as more safety so right. you could roll back regulation without rolling back safety so that's a key Point. In fact, you might be able to roll it back and have it be safer. I don't really see how you can, on the one hand, get economies of scale by reproducing the same one over and over, and also talk about new techniques and new sorts of 
nuclear power stations. How many reactors do you think we're, we need to build in the world? In the world? I've no idea. Hundreds, right. I imagine. Thousands. Thousands. But thousands. No. So thousands is enough to get those things that you were asking Oh, yeah, but about. come on, that's absurd, because the idea that there's well, going to be one or two designs that are going to uh, well, they're conquer the world is extremely the we unlikely. Need, we, need a, we need to replace our existing fleet to maintain our, you know, re reliable, clean, um, uh, baseload electricity generation. But we're also really interested in the application of nuclear technologies outside of the power sector. And those advanced heat sources that produce higher temperatures high temperature heat um, and with a much simpler and less onerous you know regulatory um, requirements and that can be manufactured products rather than you know complicated handmade you know traditional construction projects they can be really useful for things like making fuels and for the providing heat to industry so in other words looking at the other 80% of our energy use. Yeah, I think that it's much more plausible than nuclear fusion, but I'm afraid I, I, okay. I don't see it happening. But that comes back to the central question here, which is, is it's, there's this huge chicken and egg problem always with this industry, yeah. which is basically someone has to write the checks and it's not going to be kind of overexcited consumers like... Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. In, Why don't you know how much money did Maltex raise through crowdsourcing? They raised okay. millions. Well, no, but I think mm. I think the point you're but, making. But you, we're talking here about actually somebody buying the, yeah. the, the product and 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 therefore people being sufficiently confident that this yes. thing will actually be bought. And I think that's one of the issues with it a is. lot of these projects. Definitely, is that so, people constantly say, "Is there really a market?" So we're doing a project to to try and help create a market. Um, we're we're working with some of the leaders in in uh, innovative uh, algorithmic design tools and and standardized sort of kit of parts high high spec buildings to develop a system for repowering coal plants. So imagine you want to use an advanced heat source, an advanced reactor, to provide the heat to make steam for your turbine in your in your coal plant. You need to build. You don't have to build a whole nuclear plant, but you do have to build a, a sort of a reactor hall yeah. and, and have some associated systems. In, our, in the system that we're working on, there's a thermal energy storage uh, loop between the reactor, the heat source, and the steam generator. So it's separated from a safety perspective. But uh, we're, de we're developing a, a set of automated design tools and we're working with Microsoft and one of the leading companies in this field and, and a, a bunch of utilities to basically develop a sort of IKEA-like system for repowering coal plants. And um, we're, we're focusing not on the company that makes the heat source, but we're focusing on having a generic building that multiple heat sources can go into. So if you're, if you're a coal plant owner, you could start the site development process and start thinking about this without knowing which of those advanced reactors is going to make it through the commercialization Because funding. nuclear plants are really difficult to buy right now. Like Eric sometimes says that they're the most, if you're trying to design a product that was almost impossible to buy, then you would have a nuclear plant. Because, you know, as a customer right now, you don't really know what it is that you're buying or how much it's going to cost and when it will be delivered. To come back to this question, which is, is sort of what is what is the thing which 
I mean, are we at a point where we think that public opinion has swung in where it's much more amenable to this or I, not? So I think there's and a and good... does that make these opportunities possible in a way that they might not have been in the last... One of the topics that was brought up earlier was this question uh, that Kirsty asked that maybe the question should be, would you rather have a nuclear plant nearby as a neighbor or a coal plant? And I think what we're, ha what we're seeing in the United States is that there's a, a, a resurgence in the interest in nuclear from communities that have coal plants that are going to be shut down. Yeah. And they see that the opportunity to have a new plant there is, is a different thing than their general question about nuclear. Yeah. And in fact, what we're seeing is many communities being strongly in favor of these um, these plants being replaced. In, and, and I think this is a kind of a specific case of the more general topic that we brought up earlier, which was what is the application that you're talking about for the nuclear energy? Because the question sort of generally about nuclear is very different than would you like to preserve the economic opportunity in your town? Oh, you mean that? You mean you want me to, oh, we want to preserve that economic opportunity. Then I'm in favor, right? And we've seen West Virginia and Wyoming have both overturned laws preventing the development of nuclear plants in the last month. Mm -hmm. So this to me is a profound change in the, not necessarily in the way environmentalists see nuclear power, but it's a profound change in the way the general public is seeing it. Well, if um, what happens in America today happens in the UK tomorrow, you can be quite optimistic, I would have thought. That was A Long Time in Finance with Neil Collins and Jonathan Ford. The words were by us and the podcast was edited by Teddy Phillips. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe to the series on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week on Friday morning with another edition. See you then. <laughs>